that you're born an Italian If you want your life to be great See that you're born an Italiano And your life will be great Welcome back, everybody, and happy Veterans Day from all of us at the Italian-American Podcast. I'm your host, John Viola, spending the day with my pals, Pat, the Italian-American Wikipedia O'Boyle, and Ms. Rosella Rago. And we've got a very special Veterans Day episode lined up for you because, first and foremost, we here at the Italian-American Podcast want to recognize the hard work and sacrifice that goes into those men and women who give themselves over to service of our nation but also because, frankly, the Italian-American legacy in the U.S. Armed Services is really a stellar record of service from the very beginnings of this country, and unfortunately one that doesn't get as much recognition as it probably should. And there's an institution out there in Chicagoland that is working very, very hard to make sure that the story is told, and that is the Italian-American Veterans Museum. And so today, our special guest is the president of the Veterans Museum, retired Army Colonel Renato Bacci, and he uh, goes by Ron, coming to us from Chicagoland. So, Ron, Colonel Bacci, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting me. We're really happy to have you. And uh, I think I could speak for all of us when I say thank you for your service. Just 30 years, just a short time. <laughs> it's a lifetime, I'm sure. You, you were 30 years in the uh, U.S. Army, right? Both active duty and reserves? Active and reserve. 27 years in the reserve components, and three years active duty at the beginning, and one deployment to Bosnia. And uh, that deployment is going to be highlighted in a presentation I'm going to make on the 14th of November at the museum. Uh, and it's, it's going to be mostly geared towards the fact that I went over there as a banker and helped reestablish the banking system uh, in Bosnia after the conflict that had been going on for three years plus. That's really fascinating. It's amazing how many different forms of service, you know, we, we don't necessarily think of all of these deployments that U.S. servicemen and women have around the world, all the different ways that we impact life for peoples, both domestically and, and internationally. And that's clearly one of them, setting up banking system in a war-torn country, you know, uh, really, I'm sure, going to be a very fascinating presentation. How did you end up as the president of the Italian-American Veterans Museum? Well, you know, I've, I've been involved in a lot of different things and sort of crossed paths with Paul Basil, who's our executive vice president. He's also the publisher of Franoi, the uh, Chicagoland Italian magazine. And uh, Paul said, uh, would you be willing to come on our board? And uh, I had just finished the six-year stint being involved with employer support of the Guard and Reserve. I was the state chair, and as I finished that, I, I needed something to keep me busy in my retirement. So uh, I, I decided to accept his invite to the board, and our board is quite uh, active, uh, all-volunteer, uh, and made up of some military and some non-military. Uh, but uh, as, as I came on the board, I think he liked what I was providing to the board and asked me if I would uh, be willing to run as, as for the presidency of the board, and I was elected by the board members, and uh, I'm finishing my first two-year stint as of January, and then we'll see if they re-elect me for another two years. Well, we all know inter-Italian-American politics uh, expect the unexpected, but it seems like you've done a great job with uh, this museum, so God willing, everything will work out, and you'll get another term out of uh, this leadership role. You know, it's interesting to me because I'm a big 
student of Italian American history. We all are uh, the hosts on this show. And I know that the museum was founded in 2006, 15 years ago. But there's been an organization of Italian American war veterans for a long time, correct? Oh, yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of this organization, Italian-American War Veterans, and and what its relationship is to the military and, you know, how long it's been around? Well, the, the, uh, you know, there's a couple organizations, and I'm not really knowledgeable on their background. I know that uh, we have exhibits from those organizations, and I know that uh, they have chapters around the country, uh, one very active chapter here in, in the Chicago area. A couple of our board members are also members of that. Uh, the Italian-American community as a whole is is united uh, in Chicago. Uh, you know, Ron Onesti, you've probably heard that name before. He heads up, uh, you know, the organization, the umbrella organization for the Chicago area. Ron, I got to say, you're dropping one Chicago and big Italian American name after the other. That's <laughs> true. <laughs> I'm waiting to hear Dominic Candeloro. Is that the next one on the checklist? <laughs> I know him too. Jerry Very well. and yeah, Jerry and Chicago land, the, the land of chicken Vesuvio. That should be your national. <laughs> if I think of Chicago and Italian America, I think of the statue in Melrose Park, really, which is an absolutely stunning and beautiful story. And chicken Vesuvio. <laughs> The two pillars of Chicago end in my mind. <laughs> well, Ron Onesti is actually on my board and is a very active participant. And of course, uh, he, he does so much for the community and, and his entertainment conglomerate is very active and, and we appreciate him being here with us and especially having him on the board because he brings a, a little bit of a tinge of uh, let's do this or let's do that. Let's move forward on this. You know, some of the other board members are more or less, well, uh, let's think about it. But Ron is always forward looking. Yeah, he's a great man and a great friend. And uh, he's been on the show, actually, before. I talk about his work as the president of the National Italian American Sports Hall of Fame, which I'm on the board of, uh, have been for a long time. And, of course, Paul, as Pat says, another huge Italian American name. I think, Ro, you were on the cover of Franoi, weren't you? I was. And now, uh, if you don't have that uh, issue, the wonderful John Viola found it on eBay. And you can own a copy of my issue of <laughs> the low, low price of $5. <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair, Ro, I did see a series of back issues, all of which were $5. So you're in good company. It's not like you were below market value on the back issues. Well, I would hope not. If a listener does want to go on eBay and buy a copy of Frontway with you on the cover, Will you sign it if they send it to you? Absolutely, 100%. I may have to get it then in that case. <laughs> Add it to my permanent collection. Let's talk a little bit about the collections, actually, because I'm a big collector, and I've been searching out artifacts of Italian-American military service and history. Obviously, you guys have a phenomenal museum. I was able to go, oh gosh, probably about 10 years ago now I was there when I was doing some work when I was at the National Italian-American Foundation in Chicago, one of the things I really like, Ron, about the museum is its all-encompassing view of Italian-American service. Yeah. And one of the areas that I think gets neglected is kind of service pre-World War One, World War Two, and the big boom in Italian immigration. But you guys have tracked our service back to the revolution. Can we talk a little bit about the Italian-Americans serving in the armed forces before the Great Migration? There, there was uh, quite a bit of involvement back during the earlier time. And, and I, 
I, I really, I'm a sort of a Civil War buff, and, and I know that uh, during the Civil War, we had Italian-Americans who received Medal of Honors. Uh, and of course, you, you may not know that Cadibaldi was asked by Lincoln to come over here, and he was going to offer him a, a general uh, rank in, in the uh, Northern Army, uh, uh, you know, during the Civil War. And, you know, these are things that people don't think about, that we've been here since the Revolutionary War, we've been involved. Uh, and, and our display cases start with the Revolutionary War as you walk in right at the entryway. And then we have, uh, of course, Civil War, we have World War One, World War Two a lot of information on those wars, Korea, Vietnam. There's all kinds of uh, exhibits. And, uh, you know, it's sort of interesting that Tony Fornelli decided to push for this. He was an Italian-American lawyer in the Chicago area, very famous, had been in some political positions, uh, had uh, worked at state level. And he kept pushing and pushing to have a museum that highlighted the fact that Italian-Americans are part of the fabric of what makes up uh, the American military. I mean, just think about this. We were the largest ethnic group in the Second World War. Wow. The largest ethnic group was Italian-Americans. I didn't know that. I, you know, I, I know my dad was in, I know my uncles were in, but uh, it, it amazes me to think about that. So just to go back, Tony was pushing and pushing. And finally, since not uh, a lot of people wanted to come up with the, the amount of money to create this museum, uh, he, he put in over $50,000 to redecorate the facility. Now, you know, our museum is part of the Casa Italia complex. Uh, which, you know, is a former seminary. It was a seminary for almost 70 years before, you know, the vocation sort of dried up and uh, they decided that seminarians would go out east for their training. And so uh, they gave us basically the whole third floor of one of the buildings there. And we were able to take advantage of some things that were there. I can't believe this, but Marshall Fields put some money in. But the big thing was uh, the Natural History Museum in Chicago, the Field Museum, was getting rid of some display cases back before our museum was even a glitter in somebody's uh, mind. And what happened was one of the priests that was sort of uh, really good at fundraising convinced the museum to send those display cases to the seminary building. They were able to get them into the building and then they sat there for all these years. So when we came in to create the museum, we took advantage of those display cases, fixed them up. And that's a big part of our display uh, is in these cases that were part of a natural history museum, probably had bugs and butterflies in them at the <laughs> time. You know, it's the, the, this whole thing today of reuse. We reused display cases and made them into a museum. I'm very proud of that. So, And, you know, when you go there, it doesn't feel like these were inherited displays. I mean, everything feels like it's very purposeful and the museum flows really well. You travel through American history and the Italian service there. You know, you mentioned Italian-American service in World War II. That was always a big thing for me growing up. My dad was a military man and my grandfather served in the Second World War. A lot of my great uncles and cousins. So we talked about that a lot as a family, the idea that, Italian-Americans were the largest contingent of our armed forces. And I always find that so fascinating when we talk about World War II because you know, you're talking about a community that was not only 
overrepresented in the ranks, but also in many cases, like my grandfather, fighting through the motherland that they or their parents had left. I mean, my grandfather came as a, as a young boy, and the first time he was back in Italy was as a soldier in the United States Army fighting through his own hometown. I mean, you see so many of these stories, yeah. unique personal histories, but beyond the sort of great men and women that have served and the Medal of Honor winners and stuff, you guys also do a lot to preserve the unique stories of individual servicemen and women, right? Yes. Uh, certainly, Franoi, the, the Chicagoland Italian-American voice, has a feature every month called War Stories, and they highlight a military person of Italian-American background. I, I was highlighted a few years back in that. Uh, and, and every month that it comes out, we in turn... Uh, have that information available on our website so you can go in and, and read those articles about uh, the, the war heroes and, and just regular military work and service. Uh, and then, of course, we did some videos of veterans during our filming of 5,000 Miles from Home, and so we have some of those available. Uh, our website is just a, a real, let's say, uh, an entryway into what we have available both in, in the museum and just uh, other things. Uh, if you go to our website, which is IAV Museum, all one word. Of course, that's Italian American Veterans Museum, but it's IAVMuseum.org. You can do a lot of things. You can take a tour of our museum, a three-minute video tour that is really you know ni nice and concise, and you can see what it's all about. Uh, and and then, you know, from that website, uh, you can do a lot of different things uh, to further your knowledge or further your interest uh, in, in our museum. So, And the film you reference is 5,000 Miles from Home, which is a documentary, award-winning documentary that the museum sponsored many years back that tells the story of a whole generation of Italian kids from the Chicago Italian enclaves who answered the call to fight for their nation and fought in World War II. In all of the years that you've been around the museum, what do you think, if you could, is the most riveting personal story you've heard told and, and preserved at the museum? Uh, we have a Medal of Honor exhibit, which is, of course, my proudest exhibit at the museum. Uh, it has 26 Italian-Americans who won the Medal of Honor. And, uh, you know, that... It just amazes me that we have that many. Uh, and as you go up to that case, the one thing you're going to see is an actual Medal of Honor in our case, in another secured case within our reused display case. And that secure case has a Medal of Honor in it. It was provided by the Department of the Army. And they don't do that very often. You have to prove that you're going to keep it protected. If you turn over a Medal of Honor, on the back of it, it has, the, of course, the name of the individual. On ours, it says for display only. Uh, and if we ever close down the museum, we have to return it to the Department of the Army. So as you look at that case, there's Medal of Honor winners from every period. Uh, you know, Salvador Junta, uh, I met him. Uh, he's from, you know, the Iraq, uh, you know, situation. Uh, but uh, my favorite one is, is uh, you know, the, the uh, priest that won the Medal of Honor. And he's in that case. It's an amazing story to me. They're, they're actually trying to push through him for sainthood. Father Capadona, am I correct? You are right on. And Anthony Capadano was uh, a missionary 
with the Marinols in in the Far East, and after a stint of doing that, decided he wanted to you know help with the military chaplaincy and so he asked the the Marinos if he could uh, become a, a chaplain they gave him permission he went to the navy uh as as you may know the the marine corps doesn't have their own chaplains they use navy just like they use navy medical people and so he became an officer in the uh, navy and was in vietnam uh, with the Marines in a battle where many, many of the Marines were killed, and he spent time taking care of the ones that were still alive and, and giving them last rites as he went through the battlefield, and then he was eventually shot as well and killed. And so uh, his his exhibit always warms me up, and I think about the love for his fellow man that he must have had to have done that. He was a priest and that was his job. Yeah. And we don't make them like that anymore. Yes. Yeah, that's true. Father Vincent Capadano is, I guess, already a servant of God. So he's on the path to sainthood in the Catholic Church, which is an incredible testimony to the life of a priest, to the vocation of a priest. And Father Capadano is just a wonderful Italian-American story for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ron, could you share with the audience, because uh, I think there's a lot of people out there who may not even know what it means to receive the Medal of Honor and why 26 recipients is such a significant number. Could you kind of explain the Medal of Honor a little bit to the audience? Well, the Medal of Honor is, of course, the highest medal uh, that you can receive you know, from the United States. Uh, it's, it's sometimes called the Congressional Medal of Honor, but that's not the real name. It's Medal of Honor. Uh, it, it's approved by the Congress, and that's why that extra word is put in there sometime. Uh, it goes all the way back to the time of the Civil War. And uh, up until then, the American military had the feeling that they didn't want to look like the Europeans that they had pulled away from and have all kinds of regalia and everything. But uh, during the Civil War, it became evident that uh, they had to have something to honor people that had been very heroic. And so the Medal of Honor was created and uh, it was uh, it started to be issued during the Civil War. It became harder and harder to be awarded that medal as time went on. Uh, I mean, during the Civil War, you might have gotten the medal for leading a charge, carrying the U.S. flag into battle and being uh, wounded. Uh, so the Medal of Honor may have not had the value that I see it as it has today. When you start looking at today's uh, involvement, you have to go through quite a bit to be proved you know, worthy of receiving the Medal of Honor. It's a very long process. You have to have done something extremely heroic in the context of a, a war a combat situation uh, usually you end up getting some other medals in advance of that and then they finally say there was enough here to give you the the medal of honor uh it's just an amazing thing uh to receive and uh, there's three different versions 
there's the Army version, the Navy version, and the Air Force version. Uh, we happen to have the Army version hanging in our display case, uh, and we're very proud of it, of course. What's the relationship between the museum and the living veterans today? How much engagement do you guys get with the community of Italian-American veterans around the country? Yes, well, uh, of course, we, we invite people to come to the museum. Right now, because of the COVID situation, we restrict it to a small group of uh, 10 or less. And uh, we don't have any full-time staff, so we, we try to do that on a Saturday. And uh, certainly people can come and, and visit the museum. But when you talk about outreach to the veteran community, one of the things we've done is uh, host a veterans resource fair at the museum. And this was, of course, before COVID. But we had 18 different uh, organizations come and set up tables around the museum. And we invited any veterans, not just Italian-American veterans, from the Chicagoland area. We publicized it significantly, and we, we had a, a good number of people come, uh, and you could go to one of these people there at one of the tables and find out about your veterans benefits. You could go to another one and learn about medical assistance that could be given from the VA. So we had all these organizations in the museum, and the good thing is, besides getting information for veterans, they had a chance to find out about the museum because it was laid out throughout our space and into the hallway. We had tables everywhere. And uh, the 18 exhibitors had over 30 people of their staff there to help veterans. And that's one of the things we want to continue to do after this current situation is uh, cleaned up and we, we don't have to you know be so very careful because at that point, besides the 30 staff, at any one point, we might have had 20 or, or thereabouts veterans walking around in the museum talking to these, uh, we, we call them exhibitors, but they were organizations that help veterans. And so it was quite nice, and we want to do that again. There's no question that's high on our level of wanting to do things. Uh, you know, right now we're limited to having only vaccinated people in the museum and 50 is the limit. Right now, when we do our presentations, like we've done before, uh, we'll invite people to sign up, but we have to limit it to 50. Uh, so we, we've done a few of those. I mean, my, my favorite one was when we had a World War II Navy reconnaissance photographer, Ralph Trigiano, 96 years old. Wow. And he came and talked about his experiences as a Navy reconnaissance photographer. He would go out over the various places that they were bombing and, and take pictures. We were able to display about 25 of his photos, blow them up and have them displayed in one section of our museum. And those are the kind of things that we love to do, you know, bring somebody in to talk about their experiences and uh, invite people. And um, again, we're, we're limited to 50, but uh, it is something we like to do. If I could ask you a question, if you take, you know, uh, heroes, famous military heroes like John Basiliano from World War II, they're very clearly dis uh, and distinctively marked. And the World War II generation, though they were very silent about their service, they were very proud of it. And they very much joined groups like the American Legion and, and the VFW and the Catholic War Veterans and the like. But my question is, veterans from later conflicts, from the conflicts in the Gulf, from Vietnam, 
do you see their active participation in your organization, in your museum, and especially the, the ones who, who've been in combat, let's say, in the last 20 years with the or the 30 years, I should say now, with the um, military actions in the Persian Gulf and, and in the Middle East? Do you have those veterans coming around? Are they telling you their stories? Do you have any of their artifacts in your displays? Yeah, we, we do. We, we have uh, some of our displays talking about uh, the more recent conflicts. Uh, and we have on our board uh, a Navy commander, Lieutenant Colonel in, in my parlance as an Army guy. Uh, he's on our board. I have a, a, an Army National Guard major who spent time in Afghanistan. He's on our board and he's done two presentations, one about his experience as a military police provost marshal in, in uh, Afghanistan. And then he came back later because he wrote a book about all of the memorial statues and, and, and memorials around the state of Illinois and put this book together. It's an amazing uh, you know, book that you can get and, and you can see across the whole state. And Lorenzo Florentino is his name. He's, he's on our board. He's, uh, of course, an Afghanistan veteran and uh, also very active in the American Legion. He's a post commander. He's active in the Veterans of Foreign Wars. So uh, we, we do try to bring in those people and, and, you know, we do see them coming to the museum because we do have some, uh, uh, especially the Vietnam era, we have some exhibits from that era. I can walk in there and see things that I utilized as a, just a troop back uh, when I first went in in the early 70s, uh, the same kind of equipment that they had. I didn't go to Vietnam. I ended up in Germany instead. But, uh, you know, I, I recognized the canteens and the mess kits and all those things that were available and that we used, uh, you know, even in Germany. So we do have a lot of that. Uh, we have helmets, we have souvenirs, we have some very nice uh, collection of, of uh, bayonets, uh, some really interesting things, and uh, we keep adding to that. Uh, just very interesting, just recently, we accepted a dummy bomb that was used during the training of Navy pilots and, and all of us know that uh, Great Lakes and, and uh, Glenview Naval Air Station were very active during the Second World War. Uh, George Bush Sr. was trained as a Navy pilot here in Chicago and learned his carrier landings out on Lake Michigan. They took two old ships and made a, a deck on them so that they could land on the, uh, on the lake. And so the pilots would take off from Glenview and uh, do bombing runs and then land on the deck of these two ships. Well, uh, one of those bombs somehow or another was recovered and sat in a garage for years. And then this individual who brought it to us said, uh, I think you'd like it in your museum. And, and it's a training bomb from the period of the Second World War when we were doing that here in Chicago. Nothing says war museum like a training bomb. <laughs> <laughs> It's painted really, uh, you know, grotesque colors because that's why they wanted to make sure you knew that was a training uh, bomb and not a live one. It's still pretty heavy. So I got to ask you a question. So you have a very distinct family history uh, commitment to service to the United States military. And you're obviously a very proud American. Did you grow up in an Italian-American neighborhood in Chicago? Oh, yeah, pretty, pretty close. I, 
I uh, was around uh, the west side and, you know, it was a changing area at that time. But, uh, you know, Our Lady of Angels, which was another parish not too far from St. Matthew, where I went, Our Lady of Angels is famous as an Italian-American parish. And, of course, the, the terrible fire. But the fire, uh, I was going to say that famous fire. Yeah. I, Unfortunate, that great tragedy. Yeah, I I, uh, <laughs> I wouldn't be here speaking to you had my mom had her way. She wanted me to go to Our Lady of Angels because there were more Italians there. And they said, oh, you live one half a block south of Chicago Avenue, so you can't come. You're not in our parish. <laughs> uh, for, the, for those of you who don't know, there was a horrific fire in the 1950s at the grammar school of Our Lady of Angels in Chicago. Yeah. I think it was over 100 kids killed. Am I right? 100, 100. Yeah, it was and, a horrible, and, horrible, horrible tragedy that basically wiped out a parish and destroyed a neighborhood and destroyed countless families. And it changed a lot in fire codes as well. Unfortunately, it took that to make change. So let me ask you something. You lived with your, your grandmother, am I correct? Your Italian-born grandmother? I know a little something about that. <laughs> you sure do. How did that have an influence on you? Yeah, she, you know, my mom went right back to work after I was born. I was the oldest. And and so my grandmother was sort of, you know, in, in the uh, English term, my nanny. Uh, and I spoke Italian before I spoke English. And so when I was five years old, my parents said, we got to get this this young man to learn English. So they did the smart thing. They went out and bought a television, first television they had. So I learned English from Howdy Doody. God bless America. What a country, right? Who, who better to learn English from than Howdy Doody? <laughs> so true. So I showed up on the first day of grammar school at a Catholic grammar school, and the, the nun said, uh, you know, we'd, uh, we're all going to say at least uh, the basic prayer, name of the Father, Son, Holy. And I'm in the background going, Padre Fiala, Spiritu Santo, because I learned the prayer from my grandmother. Uh, and Nonna you know, she just made sure I spoke Italian with her so I would keep that language. The nun called my mom up that night and said, you know, it's nice that your son knows Latin. She was an Irish nun <laughs> and he'll make a great altar boy. And, and my mom didn't correct her and tell her, you know, he was really saying his prayers in Italian. So. Let, let me ask you another question. During your 30 year career in the military, did you ever feel an, an affinity for other Italian-Americans, friendships that you made in the military because the other person serving was Italian-American. You know, Italian-Americans, especially when they get out of heavily concentrated ethnic areas like the East Coast or Chicago or the like, when they find other Italian-Americans, there's a bond, there's a commonality. Did you find that in the military? Oh, yes, definitely. Give us some, in what sense? Give us some examples of how maybe you bonded with somebody because you had that shared same common background. Yeah, you know, I, I I'll go back to my time in, in Bosnia, you know, I got to be real good friends with Cadadello and, and several other uh, Italian-American officers that were working in the same civil affairs function that I was working in. Uh, they were doing other things. Uh, Cadadello was a, a lawyer helping the reestablish the legal system there. Certainly, I was uh, helping with the banking system, but we had a few more uh, and, uh, you know, the you sort of bonded together. I, I have a picture of one night at the residency that we were using where we were sleeping and staying. Uh, and uh, you look at the picture and there's two other Italians hanging in there. The Carbonieri were the security for 
Sarajevo's contingent of um, the, the I-4 implementation force was a conglomerate of all different nations, but the Italians provided the security force and they were Carabinieri. I got to be really close friends with them and several of my other Italian uh, soldiers uh, would, would uh, hang out with the Carabinieri. They were just uh, amazed <laughs> that uh, I could speak Italian as well as I did, and and that made me feel pretty good. So, now, I got to ask you another question. The Italian military is very famous for very high quality rations. <laughs> um, they're known. I mean, what was it in? I guess it was during your time in the Balkans. The Italian military carried stuff like wine with their meals and the and the whole nine yards. <laughs> How are you, someone who grew up with your Italian grandmother cooking for you, how did you survive on army food? How much of it was a shock in a K-ration world? Were you able to improvise at all? Oh, oh yeah. And, and, you know, I was lucky in the sense that I got so close to the uh, Cardamieti that I used to go and have meals with them, which were great. I knew you were going to say that. You were set up. <laughs> I, I felt knew, like I was at home. I knew you, were, <laughs> you start talking them up and they invite you over to eat. Exactly. Yeah. I knew that was coming. How was the Italian military food? Was it really good? Yeah. They, they with your dinner and, and your lunch, there was always wine. They had little boxes of wine, little small boxes. And of course, they always had a pasta dish. Uh, and it was it was just really nice to go to their mess hall and, and have uh, a meal there. And of course, they would come to our mess halls just for, you know, the experience. So they could go back to their mess halls and talk about us. Yeah. And you believe they eat that? Because <laughs> no, did you see that? It really is as bad as they say. Yeah. You know, my dad always talks about when he went to West Point, you know, he, he got there in 73, I think. And there was not a significant portion of Italian Americans, but he and some buddies that he did become very close to in the academy who were Italian American. You know, they would get packages from home, care packages from the neighborhood and subrisad and things that they would be able to keep in their rooms and stuff like that. And uh, he said it was always very popular for all the other cadets to come over and eat with the Italians because we had, uh, you know, uh, sort of a mess hall of our own of all this great stuff. But yeah, you do cling to each other, I suppose. Yeah. I often thought that Italy's greatest contribution, and I'm not, I'm really not trying to be funny with this. I'm being really honest. Italy's greatest contribution to NATO could be the food and the uniforms. <laughs> no, really. No military in the world has. I mean, Italy is a stylish military. It sure is. Even the guy directing traffic in Italy has a more elaborate uniform than like field marshals in some countries. <laughs> That's very true. That is absolutely true. I feel even the mailman in Italy is like a decorated general. Correct. <laughs> Correct. Well, you know, you bring up the Carabinieri, right? The Italian state military police, the gendarmerie, I guess is the military term to describe a federalized state police, a, a national police. First of all, you never see uniforms like that, right? I mean, boots that you can see your reflection in, this great hat, very crisp black uniforms. But the truth is, as Ron points out, you know, these men and women from the Carabinieri, as far back as our, our engagement in Bosnia in the 90s and certainly today in the wars that have been fought in the Middle East as allies, I know a significant portion of the counterterrorism and policing training that was done in Iraq and Afghanistan was done by the Carabinieri because in military circles, they're very, very highly regarded. And I think, you know, we always knock on wood and say a prayer when you say these things. But like if you look at 
even counterterrorism measures in Europe and some of the instances that have occurred in France and the UK and Spain and Germany and haven't hit Italy. And, and a lot of experts would chalk that up to the accomplishments of the Carabinieri in terms of counterterrorism, in terms of information gathering. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we as Italian-Americans growing up in and around Italy and going back there, we see them as their sort of presence on the Italian streets. But I think in military circles, the Italian military and the Carabinieri specifically are, are still very highly regarded. Would you say that's the case, Ron? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. This November, we're thankful for family, friends, and our connection to Italy. Come together as a family this season and enjoy the variety of top-notch entertainment and news programming Media Set Italia has to offer, including new limited drama series Luce dei Tuoi Occhi, about a mother on a quest to learn the truth about her daughter, reality series Amici and Grande Fratello V, whose twists and turns will keep you glued to your TVs all winter, plus hard-hitting and thought-provoking news and magazine programs covering both Italian and world issues. Call your local television provider and ask for Media City Italia. And add some Italian-American flair to your feed on Instagram by following us at Media City Italia USA. I got to ask you a question. What inspired you to create a museum about American military personnel who were Italian-American? Why the distinction? I think because, as, as we could see, there wasn't a lot of... Uh, understanding of how significant the part was played by especially Chicagoans uh, in, in the war effort. I mean, that that video, if you watch it 5,000 miles from home, it just opens your eyes to the fact that this is something pretty significant. And, and I had so many relatives, you know, uncles and, of course, my father, who were involved in that effort. It excited me into being part of the military. Uh, I went through the ROTC program and was commissioned at Loyola University and then went right on active duty after that, uh, you know, for three years. All of that is here. And our museum tries to highlight the fact that we're still involved. Uh, you know, and we, we still have a, a fairly sizable ROTC contingent at Loyola University. I'm very active with them as an alum. Uh, and uh, they recruit and bring through the ranks to commission uh, people from several of the other universities in the Chicago area. So I'm proud of that. Uh, Loyola has a warm space in my heart because I went there. But I want to highlight one of the other things that they did. They have a program, a master's degree in museum management. And that program, the professor that runs that, had his class take their semester Uh, one of their semesters and study our museum and make recommendations. And they put through a document that was over a hundred pages long explaining things that we could do in the future. And some of them are a little bit difficult to think in terms of because we're very limited budget, but it was an amazing effort on their part. And they actually gave us our new mission statement. And if you don't mind, I'm going to read it because I think it just hits home. It says, The Italian-American Veterans Museum celebrates a proud legacy of Italian-American bravery, explores our nation's storied military history, and offers comfort and support to veterans of all backgrounds. It says it all. It's exactly what we want to be. You know, one thing I've thought of, um, 
I guess I was 17 when Gay Talese came out with the book Unto the Sons. And when I read it, I was kind of stunned. Not stunned, but I guess it was the first time of the awareness of Italian immigrants and their children who were now fighting a war, maybe not in an ideological sense, but they were kind of shooting at each other. Italian Americans were militarily active in a war in Italy fighting Italian soldiers. And um, it's what makes Gaitulis Gaitulis, right? He goes in depth on the conflict going on in his father, right? You know, I, I don't want my hometown destroyed in a war. I, you know, how do I balance being an American and an Italian when the two sides are fighting each other? Um, and I think in World War I, it was easy because Italy and America were on the same side. And I think in World War II, that's where the conflicts happen. World War I, Italy and America are allies. And in World War II, they're enemies. And um, I heard so many Italian-Americans of the greatest generation who fought in World War II tell stories. Um, one guy I knew, his father was a huge, huge supporter of Mussolini. And when Pearl Harbor broke out, you know, his son was drafted into the war. And he said to his son, like, don't worry about Italy. Don't worry. You know, I know I raised you. I love Mussolini. And, you know, I'm a huge Italian nationalist. But you're in America. You fight for America. Now, don't, don't have any pangs of conscience doing what you have to do. And I was like, wow. When I, when I heard him tell that story, I was like, what a deeply conflicting moment to have, to have someone who was a huge Mussolini supporter and an Italian nationalist now having his son going to fight in the war against all these things. Like, you know, he's like, I believe in all this, but you got to do what you have to do for your country. I think that that's the reason for this episode today. I think it's, it's actually a great place for us to draw to a close. You know, that's what the U.S. military, you know, we think of it in the in the public perception of this armed force engaged around the world and, you know, with incomparable strength in terms of resources and equipment and, uh, you know, this behemoth of this global superpower. But we also have to remember that there is the experience for the individual veterans at the human level. And in many ways, the American military has been, from the revolution on, a furnace for the melting pot, you know, a place where people can come of all different backgrounds and and become more American and and know one another for the first time, like these stories that we're telling. Ron, where do you see the life of veterans going forward? Because there is, a, a, I think, a greater divide between civilian and military than there's ever been. And as you mentioned earlier, in terms of like the service fairs and things, this is a big part of the museum's mission to help veterans of all kind. Where, where do you think it's going and uh, for Italian Americans and for everybody else? Well, I go back to my time with uh, employer support of the Garden Reserve and think about how the only place where the general American population gets to know people that are military is through the National Guard and the reserve components. And I think if we keep making sure that those groups have a, a good mix of people from all different backgrounds, uh, I think that will help the American general populace understand that the American military is, is something that you want to treasure. Uh, certainly, my whole purpose in being involved with employer support of the Guard and Reserve was to, to make sure that employers didn't look upon people who were in the reserve components, whether it be National Guard or Army Reserve and Navy Reserve, Air Force Reserve, that they didn't look upon them as a burden because they had to go away for a period of time here and there. I think more and more employers are starting to understand 
this is a fairly economical way to keep some kind of standing military available to us. And and so I think that's where we can maybe, you know, continue to make connections with the general populace is through our local National Guard units that are in the various uh, communities and our reserve units. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm sort of speaking on the soapbox of, of an organization that I was in, I'm still involved with. Uh, but at the same time, I'm saying from a standpoint of the museum, we would love to have more uh, of the reserve component units come by and visit. And I've been pushing for that uh, and let them see the history of the Italian American military and bring that back to their reserve units and guard units. And uh, so we're working on that. I talked to the two-star general that runs the uh, Illinois Guard. He's a good friend and I've told him on several occasions he needs to make it so that people can come and visit the museum from the guard units around the Chicago area. And uh, he says he's going to try to work that angle. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen, but there, there's always going to be this uh, separation, but I think more and more people, especially if they get a chance to go to the museums like ours or like the Pritzker or like Cantigny, which is, you know, all in the Chicago area, they can get a feel for how important our involvement as Americans in the military really is. Can I ask you a question? Do you have a restaurant connected with the museum? <laughs> no. You could have just like a little mind musings that I go through. <laughs> you should have a canteen with the K rations from the Italian on. <laughs> That's true. You probably sell out. A little boxes of wine. That'd be a great day. Go to the museum and then have Italian military K rations. Yeah. Eat like a soldier. God willing, when we go with greetings from Italian America to Chicagoland, you're definitely one of the top of our to do list to visit and to film. Yeah, absolutely with the Italian American Sports Hall of Fame and all the other great Italian American monuments of Chicago, Taylor Street. Definitely your your museum is on the very top of our list. Thank you. That and the Shrine of Our Lady of Mount Carmel, Melrose Park. That's on my my own personal bucket list. But I very much look forward. Chicken Vesuvio, like I said. <laughs> I think we got to get Pat some chicken Vesuvio stat. I, I'm hearing a woolly. <laughs> yeah, I think woolly. he's one. Just... Yeah, that's that's yeah. his signature. Um that fried oil offices. There's there's a lot of stuff we got to go hit, but yeah, we got to make it out to Chicago. If we can't get the Italian K rations and the wine in the sippy box, we're just gonna have to go for the chicken Vesuvio. And <laughs> we're all on this box wine concept. I feel like this is something we have to try. I'll tell you something. My grandmother had two brothers that served. my grandfather was in World War II, but my grandmother had two brothers that served in World War II. One received two Purple Hearts fighting with uh he was a jeep driver a messenger i think for Patton's third army and he he died at 46 basically from um results of those war wounds but her older brother made pizzas he was too old for combat so they sent him to hawaii i i i guess what is it, the mess hall am i right ron mm-hmm. he he wound up making pizzas in hawaii for the u.s military he basically <laughs> brought the pizza to the american military in hawaii imagine that ron pro so i'm very proud of that the first pizza all in the U.S. military. That's right. That's right. That's right. Not that's a bad right. gig. God bless America. You're not kidding. Wherever we go, we bring the kitchen with us. Well, you know what? That's the, that is the sentiment of, of the whole thing. The, the, no matter who you are, thank you for your service as we celebrate Veterans Day. And ultimately, God bless America, because we're very lucky to be amongst people whose 
families brought them here or who brought themselves here. Uh, and we continue to work to make this country better and better to fulfill what is its ultimate design to be uh, a special place for humanity. So, Ron, thank you for taking the time to be with us today. Happy Veterans Day to you. And uh, we look forward to meeting you when we come out to Chicago, like Pat says. Thank you. Thank you. Or as Nana would say, God bless America. <laughs> God bless America. That's absolutely right. Well, we hope you guys have enjoyed this. And if you're out there in our audience and you too have served in the U.S. Armed Forces, thank you very much for your service. We here all appreciate all you do to keep us free. And if you are interested in visiting the museum, uh, as Ron points out, with a few restrictions due to COVID, you can still make your way there and uh, catch some of the wonderful exhibits. You can visit online at iavmuseum.org. And uh, in non Romana fashion, God bless America, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. See that you're born in Italy.